Hello everyone and welcome, my name is Alex and you're listening to chapter 2 of Social Dreaming. Inside the Grand Hall of St. Petersburg Academic Philharmonic Society, columns run 30 meters tall. Carved into the ceiling are tormented faces on sculptures of babies. Painted around the sculptures are angels without their wings. I sit beside a column with a chipped base, my muscles tense in anticipation. I lean over a keyboard, one of four on the organ. The organ's ten pipes climb to the tip of the roof. I raise the toe of my dress shoe and press the keys of the organ. Music fills the room, high notes soaring to the roof and low notes spreading throughout and bouncing off the walls. How am I playing the organ? I've never touched one in my life. Yet here I am, playing it like the pros. No time to dwell on that, as 40 orchestra members join the composition. The keyboard warms my hands. My fingers quiver wanting to burst with excitement, full of energy. The music cuts. I freeze, fingers hovering above the keys. Everyone seems to be holding their breath. My throat tightens. I yearn to play a note, disrupt the piece, make them notice me. But I miss my chance. Clapping hits the air. Audience members rising to their feet, whistles and hoots dot the air. The floor audience is filled with a sea of people dressed in black. A tight skirt sticks to a listener's thighs. A bow tie chokes a listener's neck, a turtleneck choking another one's. Coattails flap at a listener's calves. Chairs scrape as we players stand and beam at the crowd. I bite my tongue to keep a grin from breaking my face. My cheeks glow to a redness like that of a horn player's. I reach to push my glasses up my nose, but I touch my face. My nose stings at the bridge where my glasses should be pressing a pink mark. I feel all around, but my glasses are gone. How am I seeing anything without them? Sweating, I wipe a hand on my dress. The applause quiets for a second, a dip in the rushing noise. As I turn to leave the stage, my breath catches in my throat. My feet are glued to the floor. I try to move forward, but I'm stuck. The clapping returns in a wave of painful energy, an intensity in the air before a thunderstorm, an inhale before the lightning strike. The applause is rupturing, and I close my eyes in pain. The force of the applause is holding us on stage. Beside me, a cellist stands rigid, staring into the crowd, his lips tight and his gaze serious. I struggle and jerk, my shoulder twitching and neck clenching. I hate this. I want to get out. How is everyone around me calm? The thunder dies. 
You know, they say we don't remember how long an experience is, but how we felt during it. An avalanche leaves as fast as it comes. In one second, you can destroy everything you've been building up for yourself. I collapse in my chair. My hair frizzes and sticks to my neck. It's an uncomfortable hot, a humidity in the air from all the people in the grand hall. The orchestra players around me sit down, their posture perfect. Then they raise their instruments and start the same song. My shoulders are aching, my lips are dry. The heel of my foot has a high arch and my foot feels like an eraser bent and about to snap. I blink hard, willing my eyes to stay open. We play the song until the last note, a flutist dragging out the final line. The applause hits me again. As we stand, yells pepper from the crowd. Encore, encore. Why are we on stage? Everyone is entranced, but I want to go. We've been playing the same song all night. I knew I wasn't cut out to be an orchestra player. This is too much. Running my tongue over my cheek, I feel a cyst on my gum. I suck in my cheek and try to lick the cyst away. My teeth grind together. I clench my mouth and flex my fingers. At least I can move a little bit. On the suit of the cellist, a strand of blonde hair grabs my attention. Anything to focus on apart from the crowd and its roar. My head pounds and lights dot my vision. I need to move and get off stage. One of my feet peels from the floor, then the other. I walk down the aisle, squeezing around players and chairs and instruments. Cologne shoots up my nose sending my head spinning as I push to the edge of the stage. Gasping, I emerge from the crowd and run down the stairs. Behind me, the orchestra begins playing the same song. Clutching the folds of my dress, I clamber down the stairs. I turn in a circle around me. The wall lined with spectators, the stage booming with noise the audience an ocean of heads. A black carpet cuts the audience in half, like a corpus callosum connecting two hemispheres. I grab the loose hem around my calves and hitch up my dress. The only way out is through. Eyes drill into me as I run down the center aisle of the audience. Head bent, I stare at the floor and focus on putting one foot in front of the other, like I'm running down the escalator to catch the train. Nearing the strip's end, I muster up the nerve to glance at a person in an aisle seat. They want to stare at me, I'll stare back. The person in the aisle seat ignores me, their head trained on stage. All the audience members are fixated by the band. I run off the carpet. The wail of a tuba soars over my shoulder 
and disappears into a muffle at the thud of the door behind me. I squint in the white lights, trailing a hand alongside the wall and rubbing my forehead as my eyes adjust. I turn the corner to a corridor, my footsteps echoing on the limestone. Gas lamps line the hall, flickering light. The ceiling slopes down as I walk down the passage. Shadows bicker, and moonlight appears and disappears as someone passes a window at the end of the hall. The moonlight appears again as someone steps into view. It's a fist fight, two against one. Hey, cut that out. I grab one of them by the arm and pull them back. Get off me, lady, they say, tugging from my grasp. I bend my knees and dig my heels into the ground, pulling back. On the ground lies a kid with their hands on their head. The second attacker is kicking him in the side. My eyes widen, and I curl my nails into the arm I'm pulling. They lift a leg and kick me in the shin. Pain shoots through my shin and all the way through my spine to my gums. I keel over, my hands weakening as my teeth and leg ache. My fingers loosen, but I yank on the arm before losing my grip. The person stumbles forward, their arm twists, and they shove away from me. They swing around to kick me, but I jump back. I dig into my sleeve and pull out an army knife. I whirl my arm forward and slash their cheek. They yell in pain, clutching their face. Then they disappear. Did I just see that? Blinking, I stare at the space where they disappeared. My arm is heavy and my shoulder slumps. My hand is wet with heat. Sweat rolling down my forearm. The other attacker stops kicking the boy and stares at me. The blood drains from their face. What did you do? They holler. They run at me, their eyes wild with rage, hands reaching at my face. I pull my arm back and hurl the knife at them. It slams into their face and they're gone. On the floor, the kid shakes, their body curling into itself. I'd recognize that spiky hair anywhere. It's Simeon. Bending down, I rush to sit beside him. His formal jacket is all crumpled, and his eye is black. What are you doing here, Simeon? I ask, grabbing my head. I pull on my hair and yank out a chunk. Are you hurt? I'll call an ambulance. He winces. Hair sticks to his forehead, and his eyes are downcast as he shakes his head. Why were you in a fight, I ask. He points a trembling finger at an instrument case strewn on the floor. I'm supposed to play on stage, he says. I stare at him. Are you kidding me? Play on stage? You just got attacked. What's going on? Why are people attacking you and disappearing? 
Then I freeze. There's only one reason. Everything changes as I look around the room. It's a dream, only more like a nightmare. I look back at Sinyon. Is this why we've done five encores? He nods. Wincing, he stoops to pick up his instrument case. I need to practice, he says, wiping a spot of blood from its curved edge. Whoa now, you need to calm down after that attack. No, I need to practice now. His voice strains. I hold my breath. Did someone tell you you must practice? I can't wait. He stomps his foot and runs away. Now, 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 he shouts. I chase after Simeon as he pushes into the main hall. The orchestra hushes to silence, and all eyes turn to us. We climb on stage. Simeon sits in a free chair and puts his chin on his violin. I slide into a seat at the organ, watching Simeon as I put my fingers on the keys. Over his violin, Simeon angles a bow. His lip is puffed, and his eye has turned purple. I frown. As the orchestra inhales, my toe rises. Simeon scrapes bow against string, and the piece begins. I glance at the conductor's podium. It's empty. My jaw drops, and I miss a note in disbelief. Have we been playing with no conductor all night? The cellist glances at me. I turn to my organ and jump to the higher keyboard. Music overrides my thoughts as my foot taps to the beat. The song ends for the sixth time, and we stand. I hold my breath, stomach turning as I look to the crowd. Will we have to play again? If we have a seventh encore, I'm going to jump off stage. The applause erupts and quiets. Shuffling replaces the clapping as the audience members untuck cardigans from their seat backs and pry programs from under their chairs. The scuffling grows louder as band members place instruments into their cases, clipping the lids closed. I exhale and slide into the crowd. As players walk off stage, Simeon and I sweep with them through the door. Backstage, players cluster together wiping their instruments, tugging on coats, and huddling in groups. Simeon shoves through the crowd and stops in front of me, clutching his violin to his chest. Something doesn't feel right. My gaze is locked above his head. I can't look him in the eyes, and he doesn't either. Scratching my neck, I say, you need to wake up. My mouth feels like it's moving on its own. His left eye, which is normal-sized, widens. Wake up? He looks around the room. 
we're asleep right now? As he speaks, dried blood cracks from the cut high on his cheek. Yes, I rub my forehead. You should wake up from this nightmare. Wow, we are asleep. You saved me from my nightmare. He's looking over my shoulder. This is just like the Bible stories where people get messages from angels in their dreams. Like the angel who spoke to Joseph in a dream. That's it, isn't it? You're an angel. I stare at him. What would make you say that? I'm not an angel. Yes, you are. His voice is tense. You saved me. He grabs my shirt and pulls on it. I step back. Next time, save yourself, I say, turning around. This is reminding me of babysitting, from which I was fired. I'm supposed to stay away from Simeon. I need to wake up. I know angels are real, he says. I've met them before. I'm not an angel. I'm a person. He gasps. A person in real life? I'm looking around the room, thinking, wake up, wake up, wake up. Yes, I reply. Simeon drops his violin, and I flinch. Oh, can we be friends? He clasps his hands together, all together begging. That would be a bad idea, I say. He doesn't recognize me, and I'm going to keep it that way. We can meet at the McDonald's near my house, after school. How about 3.30? And risk getting spotted by his father? I don't think so. I must wake up before this gets out of hand. Please? His voice is so strained, I wince. Didn't his mother ever teach him not to beg for anything? Fine, I say. Let's... From behind the wall comes a shriek. A person appears from around the corner. A gash lodged deep in their cheek. They stare at me dead with murder eyes and fling a knife at me. I'm supposed to duck. The thought doesn't reach my legs in time, and the knife soars at my face. My stomach jumps to my throat, catching my scream as I wake up. Hands are on my shoulders, shaking me awake. My chest hurts. Donna, Donna, time to get up. It's 6.30. Donna. I blink as the dream washes away from me and the walls of the living room around my bed come into shape. The box of one dream unfolds its flaps and reveals inside reality. I'm up, I'm up. I pull off the covers and lean on my elbows. Mom disappears around the corner into her room. There's a theory that reality exists only once you look at it. I bend over the side of my bed and fumble for a composition notebook. My head spins as I stand. I unfold the journal on the square desk snug beside my bed. Blinking sleep crust from my eyes, I scribble details from my dream. 
Maybe something about it will give me clues to life. Explanation and analysis of the self. Advice on what I should do next. Because I'm clueless. What should I do in life? I need direction. Any direction. I hold my diary in front of my face and squint through the messy handwriting. An orchestra playing the cello, being stuck, finding a fight, breaking up a fight, playing the organ, of all things. A smile plays on my lips. I did a book report on the organ in third grade. And now I got to play one. The fight. The thought makes me queasy. I was bloodthirsty during that fight. That wasn't me. That was a strange dream where I dreamed that Sinyon wanted to meet with me. I am not meeting with him. In the dream, I told him that I would. Were we having a shared dream? Part of me wants to meet with him to find out, but I can't. Delving into dreams won't help Sinyon's hallucinations. This is the kind of stuff that would make them worse. If his father found out, he would beat my face. Through the porthole, I stare at the waves crashing into one another in the river. My eyes sting. I tear my gaze from the river to the buildings. The riverside apartments bulge, concaving and convexing. I hold my eyes open to watch the optical illusion. I glance at the grandfather clock leaning against the kitchen wall and tilting the boat forward. Time takes loudly around the room. Three minutes until seven o'clock. I tap my foot. Three minutes to wait. If I leave early, I'll have nothing to do in the school halls by myself. I know you didn't want to move, but we had to, Mom says as she pads into the kitchen slash living room slash my room. That I'm going to love saying. I push from the porthole and rub my eye. Why did we have to move? Is it because of money? Mom shakes her head. No. My cover's being blown. My IP address was being linked to Tor. Someone hacked my computer. I freeze, holding my breath. She did not just say that. It wasn't safe for us to live there anymore. Mom's voice muffles as I become lightheaded. I can only work if I'm undercover. Be happy we don't have to move across the country. I frown. I would like to move. Mom crosses her arms. I don't like hearing that. That's unstable for you. You've moved around enough. I can barely understand a word you say. You can understand me. She sighs. Well, at least your accent is indistinguishable. If I had your voice, it would be a great asset, she muses. Her face changes. But don't get any ideas into your head.
Don't you ever work for the police. I laugh. <laughs> Why would I ever want to do that? Trust me, it's a job you should avoid. She wags a finger at me. You had better avoid it. I pick up my backpack. Don't worry, I will. Mom's shoulders relax and a vein disappears from her neck. Don't go being a criminal either. She tilts back her head. That's almost as bad. I pout. Don't be good, don't be bad, or bad good. What are you supposed to be? I won't be a criminal, I say. I've never committed a crime in my life. I'm going to be a famous podcaster when I grow up. Mom's hand, scratching her neck, drops. Wonderful. Her voice is dry. You children and your ideas. Yes, you be a podcaster, and I'm going to play the keyboard in Moscow for this year's Don Quixote. What else is new? My eyebrow raises. They're playing Don Quixote this season? Mom nods. Yes, I would love to see that. Your namesake, after all. I frown. I could never finish that book. That's a shame. We were reading it in class, and then poof, we moved right in the middle of it. We had to move. Someone figured out where I live. No, no, this was many years ago, I say, groaning. I have to go to school. My boat shifts as I step onto the dock. My boat. That's fun to say. That's almost like I have a pet. To make me feel better about school today, I put on boots with stilettos. That will give me confidence. You are what you wear, right? My stiletto boot slips on a shard of ice. I'm flung forward and snap from thoughts of school and my appearance, grab the handrail before I fall flat on my face. Breathing hard, I look at the stair against which I nearly banged my forehead. I release my grip from the handrail, my knuckles sore and fingers pickled white. These boots were a mistake, but I am not going back in that houseboat to change. I bound up the steps to school number 990. My boots squeak as I enter the school. You're late, says the security guard. As he peers at my ID badge, I run a hand through my hair. Go ahead, he waves his arm. I climb the stairs two at a time while gripping the banister. On the third floor, classrooms buzz with chatter. My stomach sinks. Twisting the strap of my backpack, I slide through the doorway as the bell rings. Eyes glue to me as I thump into a chair one inch from the teacher's podium. I kick my backpack under my chair and worry my hands in my lap. New year, nothing new.
I'm alone in the front row. The teacher bangs a hammer against the podium. I sit up and open my eyes wide, but I can feel the blood pumping through my head. My eyes sore and bloodshot. Attention, everyone, says teacher Angelina Vladimirovna. Welcome to the first day of your last semester. I don't recognize some of you. My, how break changes you. Angelina Vladimirovna is the toughest teacher I've had in the hundred teachers I've been in classrooms with. In her class was the only time I ever got a failing grade on an assignment. She called me up to do Russian vocabulary on the board, and I failed to spell zashishayushisya, which is Russian for defending. Of course, I spelled it wrong. Abhorrent, she said. I would give you a one, but I know you're a foreigner, so I'll let you try again. I'm not a foreigner. I was born here, I wanted to say, in this very city, but I stopped myself. Because what? Did I want a zero? I tried to spell the shishai shishai again and failed again. But on the third try, I got the spelling right. To my surprise, she gave me a one. I deserved a zero. To this day, it makes no sense to me why she did. Angelina Vladimirovna takes attendance of all 20 people in the class. She smiles at her 100% attendance rate, flips closed the binder, and whacks the podium. Today we begin training for the final exam. It will be an essay format, and it will be worth 80% of your year. <gasps> Behind me, someone gasps. Paul Osokin tugs on a curl of the hair, foot bouncing in his uniformed leg. 80%, he asks, voice wavering. When I arrived at school number 990, Osokin was a nerd. But last year, he wedged in with the cool kids. I'm suspect on how he did it and I won't be heeding his advice. On the final exam, you will have to write three essays, Angelina Vladimirovna continues, and you need to practice. I writhe my pencil and drop my head to my desk. It's no wonder everyone cheats. I wish I didn't care about years and grades I got. But I've been taught to fit in with the pack. Do something taboo and you'll be shunned. It's how people have been holding citizens in line for centuries. Something jabs me in the arm and I yelp, bolting my head from my desk. Osokin is giving me the side eye. I glare at him and rub my, rub my arm where he poked me right where my skin was indented from shots that I got as a kid. He wipes his nose and nods at the board. Wake up, Baudelaire. There's an essay prompt. Onto the chalkboard, Angelina Vladimirovna is scraping a sentence. She clips the chalk nub to the bottom of the board and wipes her hands. 20 minutes. Begin. I squint at the board. The prompt is a blur of chalk. 
I rub my glasses on my shirt, splotching the left lens. I lean over my desk. Psst, Osokin, what does it say? He points to the board. It's written right there. I worm my mouth in annoyance. I know it's written right there, and I can't see it. Osokin rocks forward, muttering stupid, stupid essays. He almost dropped out last year. I hate them. He grips a pencil at both ends and snaps it in half. No talking, says Angelina Vladimirovna. Who must I catch cheating today? Baudelaire, Osokin, why are you talking in my class during an essay? Hunching over my desk, I pull a piece of paper from my binder. I glance around, and everyone's head is bent. I pull out an army knife and file my pencil to a point. My sharpener broke, and I don't want to ask Mom to buy a new one. I touch my pencil to the paper. The timer ticks, saying, You must write something. I start to write. I agree with the prompt because I trail. I don't know the prompt. I guess I'll write the essay about anything and hope it comes close to what Angelina Vladimirovna wants. Anything will be better than nothing. I agree with the prompt because of a dream I had when I was five years old. My father was driving me along a road to the Neva River. Cars filled the road and vehicles crept along. My father frowned out the window and said, there's traffic. He swerved and changed lanes to drive faster. He slammed the brake as traffic stopped. What's happening? He asked, has there been a targeted attack? I looked out the left window at the commotion outside. Fire and smoke surrounded two cars. My eyes widened in fear. What makes you think it's targeted? Maybe it was an accident. Dad turned into an alley and sped away from the crash. Pop! went an explosion behind us. An alarm shrilled through the air. Traffic came to a complete stop. Dad pulled the key out of the engine and waved me out of the car, saying, Go, go. I jumped out. The parking lot was made of gravel and hugged the entrance to a forest. Around me, people jumped out of their cars, slamming the doors, and headed to the forest. I joined the herd and walked, recognizing several people my age. People covered their heads and marched away from the explosion. The crowd merged into two lines, one for success and one for mediocrity. I was swept into the loser dome line. I resisted and pushed away. I didn't want to be a loser. 
but everyone in the loser line was smiling and walking proudly that way. I shoved across the current, struggling to get to the success crowd. People were pushing me down and shoving me along, bodies pressing into me. I gasped for air and broke out of the crowd. Dad stood on the sidelines and said, Very good. You made it out. Now let's see how you wake up. The timer rings. Hand in your essays, says Angelina Vladimirovna. Students rush to hand in their essays and leave the class. As I walk to the teacher's desk, I pass the chalkboard. People around us affect us in more ways than meets the eye. I trip over my feet. What luck. That's close enough to what I wrote about. My essay will work. I grin and step into the line to hand in my essay. As the line shortens, I teeter on my heel. Can I hand this in? I wrote about lucid dreaming. I don't want anyone to know I have association with that. What am I thinking? I must be sleep deprived. I can't hand in this essay. What if Angelina Vladimirovna doesn't like that I talked about dreaming? I don't want to give away the fact that I enter other people's dreams. I'd rather get a one out of five. Angelina Vladimirovna is holding out her palm to take my paper. My mouth goes dry. She snatches the paper and looks at it. Did you not hear me? She asks. I said pen only. Pencil is a drab to mark. Anything written in pencil gets an automatic zero. Angelina Vladimirovna picks up her red pen and draws a zero on my paper. I run out of the classroom and to the school bathroom where I lock myself in a stall. Trembling, I rip my essay into pieces. I don't want anyone to ever see it. Although a fail, a zero saved my life. At the teacher's desk, a man takes a swig from his mug, choking on it as I pass through the doorway into his class. Donna, good to see you. He thumps the mug onto the table, sloshing clear liquid. Sit, sit. Dr. Pesahi Omarovich clears his throat. His cheeks are flushed. On the metro this morning, I wondered why someone was wearing sunglasses. I think I figured it out. But I have no time to dwell on it as I plunk in the desk across from the teachers. So, Donna, how are you? Made plans yet for post-graduation? Asks Dr. Pesahi Omarovich. I grunt. I'm trying to avoid thinking of that at all costs. The corners of his mouth rise. I understand. It's tough figuring out what you want to do. What are you going to study? You're great in my sight class. 
Have you thought of going into neurology? Neurology? Ugh. I'm sick of school. I'm burnt out. I don't know how I'll finish this year. You've got five months left. You can do it. He sucks in a cheek and scratches his scruff. That's not that much time in the long run. I readjust my glasses. I need to find a job. A job? A smart kid like you should have no trouble getting hired. I was wondering if you had any openings at your clinic. He strokes his scruff. I could use a receptionist. You don't have a receptionist? In this economy? Dr. Pisahi Omarovich taps a pen. Have you worked in a clinic before? I twist my hands under the table. I haven't. He sips from a mug. That's a pity. You have such little experience. The frown is in his voice. My heart sinks as he stands, looking through a file cabinet and seeming distracted. I must change his mind fast. Rising from my chair, I kick my backpack, spilling a box. Ah, these are for you. I hand Dr. Pisahi Omarovich the box. Eyebrows raised, he wipes the lid and rubs his fingers together, though there's no dust. He lifts the lid. Zephyr, my favorite. I knew you'd like them. His eyes snap to mine. How did you know? I squirm. I can't tell him that two days ago I dreamt of him eating Zephyr cakes. That I took it as a sign to visit the grocery store. That it's my bribe for getting hired. Good intuition, I suppose. He squints at me, and his left eye twitches. I'm impressed. Intuition is very important as a psychologist. Or a neurologist, he winks. He stacks papers together, tapping the bottom on his desk. You're going to learn a lot at my clinic. Thank you, I smile. I won't let you down. He nods and reaches for the phone as it rings on his desk. You've been listening to Chapter 2 of Social Dreaming. Subscribe because Chapter 3 is coming very 